Hello and welcome to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. I'm Vernon Kay, taking you behind the scenes with exclusive content from the England camp. We've got a very special live pod for you coming up as we're in the O2 Blue Room at Twickenham with this wonderful live studio audience. Ha-ha! I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by one of England's most ruthless finishers, wing and fullback, Anthony Watson. Coming up today, we've also got... The battle she went through to go to the Olympics with judo. Not quite achieving the gold and coming home and ending up homeless. When you reach the top of your game in a sport, you just think you just imagine it to be like a dream country, don't you? Yes, Millie Wood gives us her top three sporting heroes plus... My first rugby team was a team called Silverdale. Played there with a lot of kids from my school, so a lot, a lot of my mates were all at that club, so enjoyable times. Ben Teo tells us his rugby journey. So let's kick things off, shall we? It's just me, Anthony Watson, and a hundred rugby fans in the O2 Blue Room. Anthony, welcome to the O2 Blue Room. You've been in here before, but it's been a little more raucous. So now you've got your own kind of audience with. But welcome. How are you feeling? Yeah, very good, thanks. All good. Um, Just getting there with with the Achilles and stuff. So um, everything's tracking nicely. All right, good. Let's talk about you and the early days of rugby. How did you discover the game of rugby union? My dad played rugby, actually. Uh, he played for Saracens. Um, pretty sure it was the B team, though. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, he played, and, and ever since I was sort of four or five, um, you know, I used to go down to my local rugby club and play touch or whatever it was then. Um, and then I dabbled in football for a little bit um, when I was about 12 or 13, but my older brother started doing real well at rugby, so... Um, in typical, you know, competitive fashion. Um, I tried to outdo him and started playing rugby more. So that's it. Really. When your dad uh, talked about rugby and his playing days, is he the kind of dad that sat you down in front of the VHS and said, oh, just watch this? Were there family moments like that? Uh, this I, is me. I don't think there's any recordings of that guy playing, but <laughs> he, he reckons he was pretty good. I'm pretty sure it was useless. Um, he says his signature move was stripping the ball or something. <laughs> random move that he's just made up how does he feel about you and your brother's success i'm not sure i mean i'd like to think that he's he's pretty proud of us my little brother plays as well but my mum is a a tennis and snooker fan so when we were younger and she would have to go watch us in the cold i don't think she was too happy but yeah i think i think he's pretty proud Uh, i'd like to think so hang on your your mum's a tennis and snooker fan that's that's a bit of a strange combo it's very strange, especially for someone who, uh, who lived in Nigeria till she was about, must have been 24 or 5. I don't think those two, big, those two sports are very big in Nigeria, so very random. And have you had the opportunity to play snooker against your mum? <laughs> I haven't, but we'd both be useless at that, for sure. <laughs> That's a mad combo, tennis and snooker. So you, you discovered the game of rugby. Your, your dad was a huge influence. Very competitive rivalry between you and your brother. Let's talk about that. How did, how did that pan out as kids? Uh, it was very, very heated um, in anything we, we did, um, whether it was messing around outside in the garden, playing rugby or, or playing cricket or hockey or anything. Uh, we'd always try and beat each other, but the main rivalry was FIFA. My little brother, we would pretend to, to put his controller in. It was never actually plugged in. Um, so he thought he was playing, but he was never playing. But me and Marcus would just, just go at it for hours just playing FIFA. And I'd like to think I'm the champ now, so I finally got that one. One thing that you're renowned for is your speed and acceleration. And you used to take pages out of American sprinters, right, when you were a kid growing up. 
used to practice uh, copying people like Michael Johnson. Is that right? I read something about that. I definitely used to watch the 100 meters a lot, for sure. I think like any kid, you know, you always want to watch the fastest guys run. And yeah, I, I used to love watching athletics. I used to watch all sports, to be fair, but athletics is definitely one that, that I paid a lot of attention to. When did you realise you were fast? I think it was when I won the egg and spoon race um, <laughs> <laughs> when I was about six or seven. Really? Yeah, I won the first bit and then when I had to balance the egg on the spoon, it was a bit trickier. But yeah, I think that's when I first realised. And let's talk about uh, your rivalry with, with Marcus because he's not slow himself, is he? You know, he's a pretty decent player. Um, was it the back end of your teenage years that you both realised that you could do this for a living? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, Marcus started playing at London Irish when he was, you know, full time when he was pretty young. I think he was involved in the setup at 17 or so. Um, so I would have been 14 at the time. And um, as I said, you know, just trying to be as competitive and trying to follow in his footsteps. Um, I just pretty much copied everything he did and um, tried to learn as much as possible from him. Did he in any way try and encourage you to play sevens? No, he didn't actually, to be fair. Um, but I don't know if sevens is for me, mate. They run far too much. It's, it's a tough one, that. Hi, this is Mario Toje, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. More from Anthony Watson shortly, but first, the England Rugby Podcast caught up with England women's Millie Wood. Ever wondered who her top three sporting heroes are? Well, wonder no more, I tell you. Here she is, telling teammate Abby Doe. I will start with Ollie Morgan, who mm. <laughs> don't expect you to know the name of Abby. Cheek. No, no, Sheer no. Cheek. More so because he's a Gloucester legend rather than a, a nationwide legend. I, as a, an avid Gloucester fan, used to go to King Tom a lot with my dad, and Ollie Morgan was a fullback, and he was he was just a player that always stood out to me. I can't remember a day where he dropped a ball. Um, Counter attack was just on fire all the time. And he just came across as a lovely guy. He works in Cheltenham now, which is quite close to where I live. And it's it's really strange seeing someone who you looked up to so much as a kid just sort of walking walking along the street. But I think as a player and, and the way he conducted himself on and off the pitch was just something that I really looked up to as a kid. So moving on to my second, probably be Ronda Rousey. <laughs> UFC extraordinaire champion, ex-champion. It wasn't so much the fighting that got me interested in her as a person, but reading her book and learning her story of, you know, the, the battle she went through to go to the Olympics with judo, not quite achieving the gold and coming home and ending up homeless. You know, you kind of think about when you reach the top of your game in a sport, you just think, you just imagine it to be like a dream country, don't you? How do you feel about her going from sport to acting, though? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting move and... <laughs> I think following the rock defeat does different things to different people doesn't <laughs> it and it was never very nice seeing her lose those we um, all have a bad year oh yeah I mean in UFC it's quite brutal isn't it and once you get knocked from the top it's, you, you get a lot of backlash from that so maybe it was a, a good move mentally to switch to acting and, <laughs> and have things more positive said about you <laughs> um, but no it's more her fight within the sport that really inspired me and lastly, a teammate of yours at club. Oh, God. Uh, Danielle Waterman, also known as Nolly. I can't support this already. <laughs> I just can't. It's more so from when I was a young player and the tenacity she shows on the pitch as a player and then the warmth and support she showed me as my head coach and almost parent at college. Different person. <laughs> different, different. Um, when I was on the A scheme at Hartbury College and she was 
the person in charge of us all and she inspired us all and going through a lot as a, as a young person she was instrumental in keeping me on the right track and supporting me and just pushing me to where I am now so I definitely owe her stuff for yeah. getting me here to be fair I will give you Nolly does um, increase your awareness of the game and yeah. actually go through things in ways you never thought of mm-hmm. so I will give you that thank you but <laughs> wait I have to say a phrase this has to go in so Nolly always tells me that I have to be welcome for everything she does so Nolly you're welcome <laughs> Thanks, Abby and Millie. Now back to my chat at Twickenham with Anthony Watson. Are you a gym rat? Are you, are you one of these obsessive gym goers? Because there's a few lads in camp, past and present, who love going to the gym. Is that you? It wasn't me. But, you know, with being injured now, I've got to try and maximise this opportunity. I've got to, to lift as much weights as possible, get as strong in areas that I wasn't strong in before. Um, so I've had to try and, um, you know, shift my focus away from you know, rugby stuff, which I can't do at the moment and, and try and benefit in other areas of the game, which is obviously in the weights room and, and doing fitness upstairs on the bike and stuff like that. Now, a day-to-day uh, week for Anthony Watson, injured Anthony Watson, what do you do? What do you get up to? Because obviously there's a lot of rehab involved. We talked about going to the gym. But let's, for example, what time do you wake up? Uh, normally I'll probably wake up about seven. And then you... So I'll get up at seven, I'll go into the club, get there around half seven, and then I'll do my stretching and my mobility stuff, uh, sit on the physio bed for about 45 minutes, and then I've got about two and a half hours worth of rehab circuits and stuff to do, then an hour of weights, and then I have to sit in all the team meetings and stuff. And So you, you know, still take part in, in team meetings, you still get to know what's going on yeah, within the team? Yeah, I think you have to, I think, to try. So you don't become an outsider once you're injured? No, 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 no. I think it's important when you're injured to try and stay in and amongst the team and still feel part of it and, and try and help out where possible. You might see things that other people don't see um, or have a different opinion. So it's important just for you know, a team ethic to just help out wherever you can. You and JJ are really good mates, right? <laughs> you, you, I think you've been quoted as saying that he's like another brother to you. Yeah, I think that's a fair, a fair statement. Yeah. And uh, is there a competitive rivalry between you guys, both on and off the field? Because I, I, I know that you both kind of keep up with fashion trends because there's been some hideous stuff posted on Instagram between you both. <laughs> Yeah, JJ's definitely, definitely lacking in the fashion He loves taking his top off on holiday, doesn't he? Oh, anything for a topless photo, that guy is nuts. <laughs> I don't know, he's got no shame, no shame. <laughs> Where do you, uh, have you been on holiday together? Uh, yeah, we have, yeah. Where did you go? Uh, we went to Bali. Really? Yeah, it's lovely. Strange choice. Yeah, I don't know why we ended up going there. I think the girlfriends chose, um, and we just tagged along, but it was, um, we went for about, I think it was 10 days or two weeks. Um, it was good. He sleeps a lot, though, so we didn't get much done. Um, but he sleep for like 10, 11 hours. It's nuts. That's his beauty sleep. He's got to keep his regime going. Exactly, yeah. Got to say, the guns look pretty sharp, Anthony. Cheers, bro. Appreciate it. Yeah, you've been skipping leg day because you're injured and banging it on the biceps. Uh, have we got any questions from members of the audience? We do, Anthony. So where is Chris Alexander? Who's your favourite team to play against and why? It's a tough one. I'd probably say Wales. I don't know, there's something about that rivalry that, that I love, both playing here and at, and at their ground as well. Didn't you score your first international try against New Zealand? No, it was Wales. Was it Wales? Yeah. Didn't you get your first cap? Yeah, against That's New right. Zealand. Yeah, yeah. There you yeah. go, against New Zealand. Thank you very much. And they're, they're something special, aren't they, the, the Kiwis, the All Blacks? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think that the way that they've set the standard over the last few years, 
in terms of international rugby and, and the way that they've they've done it is is pretty spectacular. But I think that entire squad that England have, we've got no excuses really to to eventually take them over. Where's Keith from Sussex? Yeah, uh, how do you prepare mentally prepare for a big game like against the South Africa? Um, I think everyone's different, really. To be fair, and me personally, it's just about getting your routine right. So. You know, I normally tend to do the same things the day before each game and the same things in the hours leading up to the game. Listen to a pretty similar playlist. Um, Which is? A lot of rap music. Really? Uh, I'm not sure anyone in the crowd would enjoy that, what I listen to. But um, it's just, you know, sticking to a, to a routine that you know works for you and then getting yourself in the right headspace. All right, nice. Is it true that your uncle was a Concorde pilot? That is true, yeah. Did you get to go on it? I didn't, no, I was too oh. young. Yeah. He wouldn't even let my dad on, so... Oh, what? Yeah, you mean people... your dad that used to play for Saracens? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's not fair. Exactly. That's terrible. Uh, but after rugby, you want to get into, is it the aviation industry? No, my dad's... Petrochemical industry. Petrochemicals, yeah. Um, he gets to go to some pretty interesting places. Um, and he, he set up the company on his own, so I think that's, that's a bit of an inspiration for me is to, to just get involved in the family business and, and try and help out and, I guess, take it to a new level if I can. So have you done all your studies to prepare you for that or have you got to go back to college to, after rugby? I did chemistry A-level, if that counts. Um, <laughs> but I think I'll have to do some more stuff before then to, to get ready for it. That would be, you imagine walking in, because then you would be a mature student. Yeah. You know what I mean? You'd walk in and say, hang on a minute, is that, is that, is that, is that, is that Anthony Watson at the student disco on Freshers' Week? <laughs> I'd be sat at the front of the class on my own, mate. That's hilarious. We're back with Anthony Watson shortly, but no, England centre Ben Tail gives us a bit of insight into his childhood in his rugby journey. My first ever experience of rugby would have been growing up. Now I can probably remember it would have been wet, muddy, no shoes. So when you're really young, uh, growing up in New Zealand, you don't play with shoes. Uh, I think you get boots when you're like a certain age. So it'd be barefoot rugby, cold, wet. I can remember oranges, tackle bags at training, just smashing tackle bags. That's the earliest memories. My first rugby team was a team called Silverdale. Played there with a lot of kids from my school, so a lot, a lot of my mates were all at that club, so enjoyable times. It's actually funny, I was at an Anthony Joshua fight in Cardiff and I ran into Zinzan Brook. So when I was young, he was like obviously a legend and he was having a, he was releasing a book and he had a book signing up the road from where I lived and I lived in a small town a fair way away from Auckland. He was doing a book signing and all I had on was the t-shirt that I had. So he signed my t-shirt, Zinzan Brook, and I used to wear that t-shirt underneath my jersey. For, so for the next few years, I always was like one of those like superstitious things. It's weird, I don't know why I was superstitious at such, such a young age, but I used to wear it. So I seen him at the fight and told him that when he was younger, he came to Whangapurao and he signed my shirt and stuff like that. Uh, he acted like he kind of remembered coming up to that area, but he probably didn't. But those are little things like that, like wearing that T-shirt just because it had his signature on it. Those are my early memories. Hi, this is Harry Williams, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Time now for the final part of our chat with Anthony Watson. All right, we've got more questions. Where's Ro from Cornwall? There she is, down at the front. Hi, Ro, welcome. If you had a crush on one of your teammates, who would it be and why? Oh, this is easy. I like that. This is very easy. It would have to be Jack Noel. 
hundred percent. The new haircut, the short blonde hair, definitely. He's on fire, and and Jack's the kind of guy who generally doesn't care. No, he gives that persona that he's like. He does. He's got he's got the confidence to match it. So no matter yeah. what haircut he wears, it's going to work for him. So and he's got all those tattoos as well. So he's got his own his own swag, which I appreciate. There's a few characters in the England team. Let's be honest. Yeah, but, but the one that you would have a crush on is, is Jack Noel. Yeah, it would have to be Jack. I like the little rat's tail he had a few years ago as well. <laughs> uh, it's just his haircuts, really, that, that do it for me. Well, you've got a special one right there, Anthony. What talk, what's the inspiration behind, behind the mini dreads? Uh, I don't know. I just went for something a bit different. But ever since that Black Panther movie came out, everyone's been calling me Killmonger, which has not been great. <laughs> right. All right, we've got some more uh, questions from... Where's Serena? Oh, come on. Serena's going to ask a question. What do you think our chances are in the tournament? I think our chances are high. I know from a, from a squad perspective, they won't be looking at it globally in terms of an outcome of winning four games or something. I know that they'll be trying to take it each week as it comes. But yeah, I think the chances are very high. I think the strength in depth we've got across the board in terms of positions is, is, is very strong. So... Um, no matter what team they field, for whatever reason, it's bound to be strong. We're facing some very, very, very strong sides. Let's look at both sides of the coin after the tournament, after the Quilter Inter Internationals. If we do well, it's going to give us confidence going into the Six Nations. If we don't do well, how does Eddie build confidence going into the Six Nations? Well, that's a tough question. It is, because, you know, because then we've got the WC straight after so you, surely this is about confidence and building momentum into that big tournament yeah no he, I think what Eddie's very good at is instilling belief within the squad regardless of of results um, you know, when, I, when I met him sorry to interrupt yes, I right. walked out of the interview I felt a million dollars I felt like I could conquer anything and we only had a sit down chat with a couple of coffees but as a, from a player's perspective it must feel awesome when you've got someone there with so much experience giving you advice and bigging the team up. Yeah, he's the man. I mean, from a personal perspective whenever I have one-to-ones with him he's very straight with me tells me what I need to work on why I need to work on it and, and as a head coach that's exactly what you want to hear and, it, and when you do do those things and you do improve in those areas he's, um, he's not slow to tell you that you've done so. So I think that that constant feedback and caring, I guess, about his players is something that, that he's very, very good at. And that's, that's what instills belief within the squad. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for coming in early. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. A big round of applause, Mr. Anthony Watson, everyone. Thank you. Cheers, guys. So there you go, Anthony Watson. What a gent. You've been listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line, live from the O2 Blue Room at Twickenham. It's a bit raucous. We'll be back next week for another exclusive chat with a player from the England squad. And to make sure you hear that chat with our second series now well underway, make sure you subscribe to us wherever or whatever you're doing, wherever you get your podcast from, so you can get the new podcast download every week. And while you're there, we'd really appreciate it if you could give us a review with your thoughts, please, because that would really help other people discover us. Don't forget to also check out the official England Rugby social channels on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for more content throughout the week. That's all from us. For now, we'll see you next time.